All right, there we go. I'll let you guys know how that works out. <laughs> uh, how's everybody doing this afternoon? Man, I can't tell you how happy I am to get to stand up here, <clears throat> excuse me, and open God's Word and share it with you all this afternoon. It's been quite a while, it seems. Man, I'm I, I can't I can't tell you I I, <clears throat> I am when it when it's a, a significant time between when I preach and the next time I feel I I feel even more of a of a of a weight um, to make the best use of the opportunity that I get. So um, I want us to just jump right in tonight. I'm going to open us up in prayer. And then I want to I want to start by kind of giving you guys an idea about what I've been doing over the last since uh, since Romans, uh, what I've been doing in my personal study, and kind of how that how I, I hope to see that play out in maybe a future sermon series. But before we get too far into that, uh, let's open up and and uh, pray for the service uh, this afternoon, Lord. As we gather here as a body of believers, um, Lord, I pray that we come in. And that we are honored that we can uh, fellowship freely and openly, that we can come into this place as a body of believers and open your word, uh, Lord, that we live in a place and a time that we can do that freely. Uh, Lord, if, if we're real, the persecutions that we uh, think we face here are, are lot and momentary. Um, Especially compared to those around the world who face a persecution to the to the death of them and, and their families for proclaiming your name, Lord, I, w- I just want to lift them up in prayer as we gather here with such a great blessing. I, I pray that uh, through the the outpouring of your Spirit in those places, uh, Lord, that your rule and reign would take hold and in such a way that they would be granted the same freedoms and liberties that we are here and that we would not take for granted uh, such great opportunities that we have here, but that we would be a people who would use these blessings, use these freedoms that you have given us uh, to aid our brothers and sisters around the world, uh, to take the gospel to places that it has uh, yet to go. So they would be, that there would be no place in this world uh, that your banner is not lifted high. Uh, Lord, uh, my prayer tonight, uh, uh, kind of in leading to the scripture that we'll hopefully finalize with, Lord, is, is that you would rule among your enemies until your enemies become your footstool. Lord, I, I pray as we dig into the scriptures tonight that your Holy Spirit uh, would seal my lips that I speak nothing of myself, but that I would only speak uh, the truth of your word. Uh, Lord, that your people here would be encouraged uh, by the preaching of your word, that they would be emboldened, uh, that, that we would be a people who would go and do, that we would be a people willing to serve you. Uh, I thank you so much for Christ. I thank you for so much for the hope that we find in him. Now as we open our words, may your Holy Spirit guide us uh, in Christ's name for his glory. Amen. All right, so kind of a, just a, an idea of kind of for if you've been curious about maybe what I've been doing over the last 
uh, probably getting close to a year now, if not maybe a little past a year. Uh, so after the Roman study, I, I began praying, Lord, what's the next? What's the next thing? Like Romans had taken up uh, a, a majority of my personal study for the better part of of a decade. And after having the opportunity to preach it to you guys, I, f- I felt like, Lord, what's the next? What's the next thing? Like you, you seem to have given me this desire when I studied to kind of press deep into something, and then now you're presenting me with these opportunities to share it with my church family. So what's the next thing? So after a couple of months of praying and kind of thinking back over what all we kind of I took away from the Roman stuff, and, and I, I kind of started really focusing on the resurrection of Christ and how it applied to us as believers now, right? Like we get how it applies to us in some far distant future, right? But but I was trying to dig in like what what are the what are the practical things that the resurrection of Christ does for us as believers today? Right? Like what hopes for today can we draw out of that, which kind of went on and on. And, and essentially, I got into a study of what's known kind of formally as eschatology. Eschatology is a study of the last things. Like it would be like where you would look and study into a book like Revelation or something like that. So I'm a year in. I'm not to Revelation yet. Okay, so, so uh, that's kind of the place that I hope to end. Right, I hope to get a firm footing in, in where I stand on, on things before I dive off into a book that is heavy in prophecy uh, so that I can make better sense of it when I get there. So along the way, there's, there's really three major historical views of the end and how that end will come about. Uh, there's amillennialism, there's premillennialism, and there's postmillennialism. All three of these you can look throughout church history and find faithful preachers of the Word that hold to all three of these, right? Most of you in here today, knowing you, being a part of you, it being kind of my starting point in this whole thing, you would fall into what's known as premillennialism. And most of you would fall into a probably a, a, what, what I would consider, it's happened in the last 200 years, but a new kind of mutation of premillennialism that's known as... Uh, Pre-tribulation rapture, um, premillennialism. So it's kind of it, it comes from from some events that happened kind of later in church history that that then gave rise to the the pre-tribulation rapture uh, point of view. But historically, there's been three main views, and I've been kind of trying to look over those and say, well, where do I fall in this? And what are the applications, or what are the what are the how does each one of these play out in the way that you would you would live out your Christian life, right? So, the kind of to get an idea of why this would matter, could we all agree that where you set your goal tends to be the direction in which you go, right? So, if our goal is to make it to the end then what we believe about the end will affect the way in which we move in that direction, right? So as I've been doing this study, I've kind of been digging into these and looking at these different applications. Um, We're not going to get 
into half of that tonight, right? But some of the things that we're going to touch on tonight are kind of the, the, the first fruits of the thoughts that I've been digging through as I've been digging into this, right? So I want to give you some of the questions that when I think about this, as I've been digging into this study over the last year, um, kind of some of the thoughts that come to my mind. And I want to, I want to put kind of before any of this, what I want to say is when I'm talking tonight, know that primarily I'm talking about the us. Okay, I want to put that out there kind of first and foremost, because if I don't kind of label it up front and say, when I'm talking tonight, mostly I'm talking about the us, the we, the church, then it could be very easily when I get into some of these things that sound really good for us to want to apply it on a me level. And what I mean by that is some of these things, some of these promises, some of these things that it would appear in Scripture that are ridiculously encouraging may not happen for you, right? Like, you may very well die for the cause of the gospel. But for the church, that would be ultimately working together for God's good, right? Like the, the watering of the church is the, is the blood of the martyrs of the church, right? We see that throughout church history. But for you in that moment, that would seem like a very bad thing, right? Like we look at, at, at some of the martyrs of the early church and, and being burnt at the stake, those kind of things. That was not a good moment for them. But from that, the Holy Spirit burns a, a passion and desire in His church that is unquenchable. So in that way, we could say we are unstoppable, right? So we could use this language to say, if you were to crush the head of one, 10,000 will rise up in their place. And we can know this kind of thing to be true because God is faithful, right? So that's why I say kind of before we get into this that I want to say this may not apply to you. You may be the one that is unsuccessful in a particular thing, right? You may be the one that lays down their life. You may not be the one that takes up sword and runs whole armies to flight, but we can rejoice together that we are victorious, right? Because we are working for something greater. And in that day, those who have given their lives for this cause will rejoice because they will see the part that even their deaths played in the kingdom of God taking root and taking over. Alright, so that's kind of the idea as we dig into this. So, uh, just consider when I say this, I'm going to be using we a lot here. Considering us as a church and the effect on us. And So, question one that I hope to answer in this is where are we going, right? So, if we know there's an end that's in sight, then where are we going there? Another question, what is the task of the church, Right? Do y'all think that we should have something that we are about? Something that we are doing? Something that we are active in? Another way you could say it is, why are we here? Why are we here? Right? Why did you all come tonight? What is the reason for this? Why do we gather together? Is it just so that we can have a good time? Right? Why do we come together. What is our purpose? 
What's the end goal? Are these things that we, as a church, are considering? Because here's what happens oftentimes, is that instead of looking forward and ahead as a church, we look down at our feet at our issues, right? So I want to ask the question, and I hope that by fixing our eyes on what the end hope is, that, that we can get a root and get moving in our purpose so that we can answer for ourselves, why are we here? Why has God placed Mount Carmel in this particular place, in this particular time in history? Why us? Why now? What's the end goal? Another question, how do we achieve our goal? How do we achieve our goal? By what means do we achieve our goal? And to what extent can we hope to achieve our goal? What is our goal? Can, can, just, I'm just going to ask you a question. As a church, what is our goal? To share the gospel. Make disciples. Anybody else got any thoughts? To live it out. To further the kingdom, I like this. We're going to be using kingdom, the language of kingdom a lot tonight. It's been kind of, as I've been digging into this, really like a personal, like, it's, been, as I, I, it's one of those things that for me, once you see it, you can't unsee it. This language of the kingdom, I will come across that in scriptures tonight. So, so these are our goals, the furthering of the gospel. To what extent can we be successful in that? Like, can we hope that the whole world is reached in our generation? Like, can we dream too big as a church? Can we dream too big? Are we naive then to think that we could do it? And if not, then on what basis do we stand for that hope? Right? These are some of the questions that I want to kind of dig through. And like I said, we're not going to get into all of these tonight, but just I want you to be to know kind of some of the things that God's had kind of stirring in me through this study. Another, what should we desire? What should our desires be? And then kind of, I've got kind of a summary question. Um, basically, does the presence of the church throughout history affect change in the world around us? I'm going to read that again, because when I think of all of these, this is how it boils down for me in my mind. Does the presence of the church, does our presence in this world affect change in this world? Right? Another way that you might could word that is the only effect that we have when we preach the gospel, is it merely a spiritual effect? And what, I, what do I mean by that? I mean, if we can really hope to change the hearts of the world, then should we not... Uh, the battery ran dead, I guess. Then should we not... Let's just turn that off. Uh, if y'all can't hear me, y'all just let me know, and I'll speak a little louder. All right, so does a... <laughs> you can't hear me. <laughs> so, well, I'm going to try it one more time. Put that in my pocket. I'm gonna, maybe. I, 
<laughs> okay, now I think Russ is up there messing with me. <laughs> uh, this would be a good opportunity. Yeah, I think we're, yeah, so we're muted right here. Battery's dead as well, I guess. I'm going to take a sip of water, won't we? <laughs> All right, so does the presence of the church throughout history affect change in the world around us? Is that change merely spiritual? Or should we expect, right? Should we expect that spiritual changes in the heart of people can be seen in the world around us? Such that if we reach the nations, the nations look different. Right? Can we hope for that? And to what extent can we hope for that? Our view of what the end looks like will determine what we think there. Right? Our view of what the end like is like will we'll determine heavily what we think there. So, I'm going to kind of... A lot of tonight is kind of... If you were to follow along in Scripture, you will, you will get the early steps of how I'm approaching this question. The thing that I would say first, and this is just kind of a principle that I study by, is examine the difficult to understand passages in Scripture with the simpler to understand passages in Scripture. Never do it in reverse. You'll get yourself messed up. Okay? This is why I say myself, I've been doing this for a year. I'm not to Revelation yet. Right? Because Anybody that you ask, even the most learned person in that book, will tell you it is difficult to dig in. So if that is the only place, if when you think of your view of the end, if that is the only place in which you base it, then you'd better hope you got it right. Right? To the same extent that I would say when the Pharisees and Sadducees were reading the book of Daniel, they got it wrong. Right? So the most learned, looking in one of these difficult-to-read books, looking back on it, we get it. It seems perfectly clear sometimes, but in the moment you can see how that would be extremely difficult to the point that the Pharisees and Sadducees and the Jews of Christ's day missed him completely. So look at the easier... Uh, do you all need me to put that back on? Yes? That's hard to hear. I'll, put, I'll go ahead and put it back on. Okay, check, check. So y'all be turning to Luke while I'm getting this thing put back on. I'll be flipping to Luke. We're going to look at Luke chapter 1. We're not good. This is not where we're camping out tonight. Um, but this is going to kind of give you an idea of why I've started with the writings of Luke in general. Alright, so Luke chapter 1, we're going to just kind of dig into this so that you can see this principle that I'm trying to tell you you all, examine the difficult scriptures by the, the easier to understand scriptures. You'll kind of see what, what I'm thinking as I'm digging in here. So Luke chapter 1, we'll just start at verse 1. Inasmuch as I have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word and have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely 
for some time past to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. A couple of things that I want to point out that we can see and know from the uh, from even Luke's opening of his gospel here. One, this is not something that he he didn't um, look at this and find this information on Saturday night and preach it to you on Sunday morning. This is not Luke's style here. This is something that he has followed closely for some time past. Right, You see that in the text. Having followed all things closely for some times past for a purpose, so he was doing this intentionally for a purpose, to write an orderly account. What can we, what can we know when he tells us that he's attempting to do an orderly account? That it's going to be meticulous, and it is. That it's going to be precise, and it is. That he's not accidentally putting words in and we can see that Luke is one of the most meticulous writers in all of Scripture. I want to quote you something from a historian by the name of Sir William Ramsey. Sir William Ramsey was a historian who attempted to go about archaeology and disprove Scripture through archaeological finds. So he takes the writings of Luke and all the details that Luke so graciously sprinkles in from the random naming of people to the just things that you were like, why, how would you ever even prove that? And then he goes on a task to try to disprove it and instead he becomes a follower of Christ because he sought and he found. And this is what he says about Luke and Luke's writings. Luke is a historian of the first rank. Not only are his statements of fact trustworthy, this author should be placed along with the very greatest historian. So this is the kind of writing that we're seeing when we look in Luke. So Luke tells us that he's gone about this, that he's put time into it, that he is putting together an orderly account and he's doing it for a reason, that you may have certainty. He's looking for precision, for certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So I wanted to start digging in, looking at these kind of uh, end time is it far off? Is it near? You know, kind of answering the questions of, of where do I really fall when I dig into the Scripture myself and not necessarily just from what I've been raised up in because probably most of us, like I want to be honest, the reason that I've held for the longest time the, the premillennial view is, is namely because that's all that I knew existed for a long time. Right? And there's nothing wrong with that so long as that's the right the right way so long as that's true but if we're holding on to something simply because it was what we were told then we need to i feel do due diligence ourselves in digging in and knowing why it is that we believe the things that we believe all right so this is my attempt and 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 my attempt going at this i want to look at the easier to understand text i want to look at somebody's writings like luke here who is from the outgo trying to be orderly um, trying to put things down in a meticulous way so that he can give certainty, right? So that he can give certainty. So that is the first of Luke's writings here. And then we go, let's flip to Acts, which is where we're going to spend a good bit of our time this afternoon. Um, we're going to be looking at kind of the opening 
chapters of Acts. Um, I wanted to start with Luke because that was the first writing. He starts off in the first verse of, of Acts chapter 1 making reference to that. So, in the first book, this is Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, that's the gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do. Now, note, whenever I'm preaching to you and I'm reading from the text, I will tend to emphasize words that I want to bring out in your mind as we're reading through the text. So, so, so whenever I pause there, I want you to take note of that. I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do. And to, so I want to, I want to, when I mention that, the first thing that should trigger off in your head is he began. He didn't, it wasn't something that's ended. It's something that he's started. So he began to do and teach until the day he was taking, taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's gonna, uh, kind of take center stage, um, in our understanding tonight. I wanna, I hope that, I pray that I don't overlook, um, the, the mentions of it, um, throughout this. Um, so that's, Let's just let's just understand as we're digging through this um, that we cannot overlook, we cannot overemphasize um, the 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 importance of God's Holy Spirit in all that we're going to see tonight. When we think about our purpose, our plan, where we're going, what we're doing, like the Holy Spirit's role in all of this is central. Um, so he, he gave commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now in verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So again, I want to say that Luke is meticulous in his wording. He's intentional in the words that he chooses here. And I, I want to point out, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, and doing what? What was he doing? Apart from providing proof for himself and that he was alive, what was he doing when he was getting together then? What does the Scripture say that he was doing? When he spoke with them, what were they speaking concerning? The kingdom of God. Take note of the usage there, right? Because we're going to read a little further in the, we're going to see where Luke's telling the account of the last things that the apostles are speaking with Christ about before the ascension. And it's important that Luke is bringing out that they had been talking about what? The kingdom of God. And when Christ is about to ascend into heaven. What question are the apostles raising to him? Let's, let's read on. So, uh, verse 4, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. I want us to be considering here what that promise is. And then he quotes Scripture, which he said... You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So here he quotes this text, and he's saying this promise is what? The Holy Spirit. So he's speaking about the kingdom of God, and he's talking about the promise of the Holy Spirit. 
right? The kingdom of God and the promise of the Holy Spirit. As we're reading through this text, I pray that as we run across these words, the kingdom of God or kingdom in some way referring to God's kingdom and the Holy Spirit of God, that it goes off in our minds like a light bulb. Pay attention to this. They're talking about the kingdom of God. When, when Jesus in his days after the resurrection, speaking with the apostles, and here in the book of Acts, it's telling us the early stages of what? The church. The book of Acts is the first, it's the birth of the church into the world. And, and how does it make, how does God make himself known in the church? He outpours the Spirit on His people in a way that is powerful, that is unstoppable. You get in His way, soul, and you become Paul. You don't stop what the Spirit is doing for God's kingdom. Right? So, wait. Where do you wait? In Jerusalem, keep that in mind. I also want to drop out now, we're going to see the word Zion in a future text. Zion and Jerusalem, one and the same. So when we look back in Psalms 110, know that when it says Zion, it's speaking Jerusalem. So these things are going to take place in Jerusalem so that we see the hope that we have in that verse in Psalm 110 later. So promising the Holy Spirit, verse 6, they've been talking about the kingdom. So it should not surprise us at all that when they get together again, what are they doing? They're talking about the kingdom. Verse 6, So when they had come together, they asked Him, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? What are, what are the disciples who have been with Jesus talking to Jesus? Forty days now, seeing evidence of who Christ is. They've been talking about the kingdom. What are they asking right here? Is this the time? Is the time now? We need to pay close attention to Christ's response to them. Okay? His response is critical. One, what are they looking for? They are looking for an earthly kingdom. Even now. Even at this moment, 40 days talking kingdom talk with the resurrected Savior, and they're thinking the here and now. Does He shut them down here? Does He? Is His response to them, you guys are thinking about this all wrong. You're focusing too much on the earthly. Is that his response? What is his response? So, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons. Whew! It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So, what do we know about their assumption? that it wasn't necessarily wrong. It may have been misplaced in time, or it may have been misplaced in, in the way that it was going to play itself out, but they were not wrong. It's just not for them to know the, the, the when. But what does he say? 
It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by His own authority. Understand that it's fixed, and it's not fixed on any lesser authority, but these times and seasons will come by the authority of God Himself. But you, verse 8, but you will receive power. And I didn't get us. A single amen. I mean, sometimes it seems like it's so easy to get amens out of folks. And and, and you see that this is Christ speaking here. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will receive power. What, What kind of power are we talking about? What kind of power is this? What kind of power does the Holy Spirit offer? Which one of you on his strongest day can take the dead loved one that you would love to get back and call them from the grave? Which of you? All of us combined with all the strength that we could muster would fail. The power of the Holy Spirit raised Christ from the grave. This power is offered to us. God's Holy Spirit, God Himself is with us. Do we find any hope in this at all? Does this shape in any way how we can face tomorrow? Do we live like that? Do we believe it? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. What is our purpose, church? Where are we going? What are we here to do? What is our task? When this power falls upon us, God's people... You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Is there any place we cannot go? Is there any place we will not go? To what extent do we have hope for this gospel message? To the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. Can it happen in our generation? You may say, look around us. We are so few in number. You may feel like we're few in resources. And Jesus did not tell them nor give them this hope on their own abilities, resources, and power. He said, wait, the Holy Spirit is coming. And Christ poured the Holy Spirit out on His church. And there's power in this. There is so much power in this. There is life conquering or death conquering power in the Holy Spirit. So our extent, where we should set our hope to reach is the end of the earth. And if we read through the book of Acts... The early church had nothing less in their sights. Nothing less than complete 
domination. Like the, the gospel would reach the ends of the earth. That's the hope that they had. And half the time we find ourselves struggling, can it reach the end of our driveway? Right? Can it reach the next cubicle? What do you, what do you think? Do you think that God has set us here to fail? Do you think that He's given us a mission that He is not enabling us to finish? And do you think that the world will look different when we do? Don't, don't you tell me it used to be better than it is today. Hmm? Don't you tell me that. Don't you tell me about the good old days. Don't you, I don't want to hear you speak the Word, half of you that are retiring, because I hear it spoken all the time, that my better days are behind me. Shut your mouth. No, they are not. 10,000 years from now, what will you be saying? What will you be saying? I have not seen the end of these days. Your best days are not behind you. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how far it seems. I don't care how weak you feel getting out of bed. When God sets you on a task, He doesn't send you all alone. His Spirit is with you. Go where He sends you. Be willing to go where He sends you. Church, and when He said these things, this is verse 9, and when He said these things, as they were looking on, He was lifted up, and a cloud took Him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, He went, Behold, two men stood by them, and white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? <laughs> where, where are you looking? Where do you stand looking? Are you not standing most of the time looking in that same way? Right? Right? And I want to tell you this, and we, you, we should know this, that your end ultimate hope is not a Caspery existence, church. It's not. God raised Christ bodily from the grave. Why do you stand looking heaven towards heaven? And what do they say? I mean, this is essentially saying, dude, get to work. Right? Get to work. We've got work set before us. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking to heaven? This Jesus, whom was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you saw Him go into heaven. When He went into heaven, where did He go, church? Y'all know this? Where is He? Where is Christ now at this moment? Is He? Is He? According to Scripture. But do you believe that? What does it mean for Christ to be at the right hand of God? Did He? Did He have all power? Does He have all power? Does He have all authority? 
Does he? Does he win? Is he victorious? In what way? When? When? Now and forever. Now and forever. Let's dig into this. So, so Holy Spirit at the point that we're going to be in the text right now, chapter 2, we're going to look at verse 32. Peter's preaching the first sermon after Pentecost, after the outpouring, after the promise here has been given. Verse 32. This is kind of in the middle of his sermon here. Well, it's probably the tail end, you could say. He says this, verse 32. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. He's talking to the people that did this, church. Um, this man's saying, y'all know that he raised him from the dead. Y'all know it. Y'all are witnesses as much as we are witnesses. And now he says something here. Being therefore exalted, where? Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. Whose promise was that? Whose promise was the Holy Spirit? God's promise to who? To Christ. For who? For us. Get that. God promised the Spirit to Christ so that Christ could pour out His Spirit on us. Do y'all get that? Do y'all understand that? So He's saying this has taken place. Right? They're like, you guys are drunk. Y'all, I mean, there's something going crazy with you. You're speaking one language. I'm hearing another. Like, what in the world? There's some weird power that I can only attribute to alcohol going on right here. And Peter starts preaching, correcting them. And he's saying the promise of the Holy Spirit to the Messiah, it has come. And that's what you're seeing today. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, so we're all in agreement of where Christ is. He is at the right hand. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, when we look at this phrase, the promise of the Holy Spirit, I want to kind of just foreshadow a little bit. We're going to look at Psalms chapter 110, verse... 2 and 3 specifically for this promise of the Spirit that He's now pouring out here in verse 33. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So here, I want us to get something here. So He's talking about the Spirit being poured out. He's talking about Him being exalted to the right hand. And then He uses this word for. Right? For. So where was this promise? We see this promise already. I want you to stick with me for a second. We see this promise already mentioned by Luke in chapter 1, verse 5. Or part of verse 4, part of verse 5. You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is a reference made to that same promise then. But now... In this sermon, Luke is bringing out that when he preached this, he used this clause to connect this promise, clause to connect this verse with another passage, with another text. In verse 34, For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says... Right? So this exaltation of Christ that's setting off this age of the church here, 
He's now associating with Psalm 110. This is where this quotation that we're going to read is going to come from. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, and here's the quotation, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. So where is he? He's at the right hand. But he doesn't end there. The psalmist doesn't end there, which is why I want us to go there here in a second and look at that. So he's here associating this text with the promise, right? The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. And then what does he say? Until I make your enemies your footstool. What does that sound like? Does that sound like partial victory? What does that sound like then? That sounds like overwhelming triumph. If you're talking that my enemies are at my feet, and that you say sit until... So who is it then? Who is it? By what means do we find the enemies of God brought before the feet of Christ? By what means? By the Holy Spirit empowering the church to take the gospel. I want you to follow me there. The, the enemies of God are brought to the feet of Christ by the church, empowered by the Spirit, preaching God's Word. What is our purpose? Do you, th do you think that that Paul in the book of Romans chapter 8, when he says that we're more than conquerors, do you think that that was just a literary device? Do you think that that's something that just sounds good when we quote it? Or do you believe that those kind of things are true? Are we in fact more than conquerors? We are more than conquerors. Through Christ. Yet we live... Repent, church. Repent. Because we live most of our lives like we are defeated. And you know what your response to that should be? Repentance. You repented. You repent. You continue in repentance. Until the, until the day that His enemies are His footstool... And He comes. So if you are defeated, if you feel defeated, you are not. We can't be defeated. Try as they may. Come at us with all you've got. Nations have fallen around the church throughout history. Amen. And it's not because there were strong men in the church. It's not because there were brave men in the church. I can promise you this. If they lined us all up and they burned us at the stake, we would not get there by our own power. It would be by the Holy Spirit's power. If a gun was placed in our face, 
It will not be Landon because Landon would like to preserve his life here. It will be the Spirit of God because He's promised the Spirit to us. And He's given the Spirit to us. And He's given us a great goal, but He's enabled us for this task. We are able, church. We are able. So I want us now to go and look at the quote that's made here in this sermon over in Psalm 110. We're going to look at the quotation that he brings in here. Now we're not going to find in this a direct usage of the word Holy Spirit. But for some reason, Peter decided that when speaking of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, when speaking of the power of the Holy Spirit, that this was the verse that fit. The Holy Spirit had been poured out on him, and he's preaching God's Word by the power of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit leads him to quote this verse. This verse. And after this, 3,000 are like, what do we do, man? And he says, repent, believe, be baptized. So this is where he quotes from. 110 and 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So from his throne, the Lord sends forth here. Verse 2. The Lord sends forth from where? Zion. You remember the little side note that I put out there a second ago with Zion? This is Jerusalem. Right? The Lord sends forth from Zion, from Jerusalem, your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Whoo! What a statement is this. What a statement is this. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. What is this mighty scepter? For the Lord who sits on His throne in power and authority. What scepter does He wield? The Holy Spirit in His church preaching the Gospel. And in this, Christ rules in the midst of His enemies. This is this. Is this. Read this. This is the illusion that He's leading. That everyone who had heard this, that knew this psalm, knew what He was saying. The Lord sends forth from Zion Your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of Your enemies. Verse 3. Look at this. Look at the hope that we have. This is why I can stand up here and I can preach like this and I can know that Your lives will be changed. Because it is not my words that will do it. It is the Holy Spirit that will move. And He will make men and women willing. And I'll stand here and say it and continue saying it whether no one stands up and goes or whether all of you do. Because God's Word has spoken it. And it cannot be undone. Your people will Lord, may this be a prayer to you. Rule, Lord. Rule until 
You make your enemies your footstool, Lord, because your people will offer themselves on the day of your power. This also could read on the day that you lead your forces in holy garments. Oftentimes, what is it that that stops us, that keeps us from getting out and going? We feel unqualified. We know ourselves way too well in our current state. We feel ourselves unholy. You have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Though you fall, though you stumble, you stand before God with the righteousness of Christ. So I don't want to hear you making excuses because you sinned this morning. Repent and go! That should be your response. Not overwhelming guilt. He was nailed naked to a cross to bear your shame and guilt. Give that guilt up. Believe that. Trust in the work of Christ. Repent and go. That He may rule in the midst of His enemies. What a great thought is that when you go out and you feel like you're the only one. He's ruling in you. He's ruling. Until this is happening. Until He makes His enemies His footstool. To what extent does our hope go? In the worst, when you are the only one. When you most of the time you think you're the only one and you're not. But even when you're the only one, know this. His Holy Spirit and the power that He enables us with, if you stand alone, you stand with the roaring line. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Just as, just as. When David slew Goliath with his own sword, when he slew the giant with the weapon of the giant, what did the Israelites do? They got bold quick, didn't they? And what did they do? They ran down the enemy. These people who cowered. And this is a type of Christ. Right? This is a foreshadowing of what Christ did on the cross when He crushed the head of the serpent. What should we now be doing? Should we fear the powers and principalities of this world? No. Not even in the least. Not even in the least. Church, my prayer for you is that this encourages you that when you go tomorrow to wherever it is that the Lord places you, that you don't go defeated already, but that you go knowing that God is working in you. Like in this moment, right? Like we get many pictures throughout 
Scripture, talking about the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It starts small and then eventually its branches grow. To where even the birds of the air, right? To where it's like a little leaven and a loaf of bread and then eventually it spreads to cover until the whole thing is leaven, right? Like these are the, are the principles that we should go by until the world is covered by us. And the world is changed by the gospel that He left with us. He did not leave us to lose. He would not have given us a spirit in the form of the Holy Spirit with the power of life and death to send us on a task that He was not intending us to complete. So know that we, 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 we do this thing. We win. Be encouraged by that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day for your many, 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 many overwhelming blessings. How amazing your word is. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would move in our hearts. That you would convict us where we fall short by the power of your Holy Spirit. That we would repent of our sins and continue moving forward your kingdom lord your kingdom come your will be done on earth lord exactly exactly as it is in heaven and let us not stop lord until your enemies have been made your footstool it's in christ's name for his glory amen